Well, hello, 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 church. Whether you're on a campus or whether you are online or whether you're on a treadmill. Anderson Campus, can you put your hands together? Let's welcome everybody from all over the state of South Carolina and beyond. Howdy, everyone. Um, uh, I'm honored today to be bringing a word. And let me just start off by saying, if you're a part of New Spring Church, you know that we've been in a series called Hearing God. And, uh, and we have been really in a really cool journey, but over the last week, um, there's no other way to say it than just feeling the Holy Spirit begin to stir something and begin to prompt. And as a, as a preacher of the word, um, all I can describe it as, as a weighty burden that we had to push pause on our series and had to come today and bring a specific moment uh, word, and I believe that's what you're about to receive. So, you know, you are going to hear from Meredith Knox today, and you will hear from her uh, in the days ahead for sure. But uh, this has been, show of hands, how many of you have said this has been a crazy, crazy year? Show of hands. All right. How about a crazy season? Show of hands. How about a crazy week? Two hands. All right. Awesome. <laughs> it has been wild, but I want you to know, and here's what I believe today. God wants you to feel confident that Jesus Christ is in control, that he is on the throne today, that he is not wringing his hands today. He's not wiping sweat off his brow today, and he wants to impart to you today, saint, that kind of confidence. And so I've got a message today, if you're writing down notes entitled, Thriving, Not Surviving in Babylon. Thriving, Not Surviving in Babylon. This is such fresh news that I don't even know if the app has been updated yet. So if you're watching on the app, you'll just have to take notes off to the side, okay? Uh, thriving, not surviving in Babylon. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bring what he wants to bring. Father God, thank you for your word. Father God, I pray today that you would speak exactly what you want to say to the hearts of men and women. And that, Father, you would hide me I humble myself right now and I ask to be completely hidden by the finished work of the cross and the victorious resurrection of King Jesus. I pray the prayer of Psalm 19 right now that, Lord, that the thoughts of my heart and the words of my lips would be pleasing to you. And, Lord, that they would find, we already know, their exact landing place in each of our hearts. Do it for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, um, if you've got your Bible and you wanna open them up, I'll tell you where I'm gonna be today. I've got two passages that I wanna lean into to begin uh, from the New Testament, but I'm gonna spend the majority of my time doing a bit of a survey of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Now, I told you the title of the message is Thriving, Not Surviving in Babylon, and I need to look right into the camera and say very clearly that this message is true regardless of who is the president-elect. This is not a message that would have been preached one way or the other. This is a reality that you and I live in as a Christ follower. The Bible uses this uh, metaphor from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation of the world being qualified and called Babylon. It's the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. It's the actual uh, Babylonian Empire in the, in the story of Daniel and throughout the Old Testament. And in the book of Revelation, it is also the city of Babylon. That is a metaphor for the world. 
And so on one hand, you've got Babel, Babylon, uh, and the things of Babylon, and then you've got the things of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on the other hand. These are the two huge metaphors that you see in the scriptures. And so what I want you to know is that God has made a way for you and I to thrive in a kingdom that we don't ultimately call home. Now, this is the language of Paul in the New Testament in the book of Philippians chapter three. I wanna show it to you. Here it is. It says in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, Paul is writing to the Christians there in the city of Philippi and he tells them something. He says, but our citizenship, that's a political word, our citizenship is in America. No, that's not what he says. What does he say, church? He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. No, say it like you mean it. Our citizenship is in Now say it like you got a South Carolina public school education. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. I want to say to you that that is where Christian our home is. And so there is something about following Jesus that will remain uncomfortable on this side of eternity. That there is constantly going to be all the time every four years for sure, a, a disruption and a disturbance as a, an American because we are not ultimately designed to live here. We're designed and we're reborn in Christ and he's preparing a place for us there. And so I wanna just make sure I say this and this is gonna feel a little bit uh, intense and urgent because I think it is. The way that we live and talk and social media post in this world is supposed to be flavored with the flavor of heaven, not the language of Babylon. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've been on Facebook lately. I've read the comment sections on Instagram. And what I see is a lot of people that call themselves Christians talking like Babylon acting like they're Babylonian, smelling like Babylon. And I feel like this is a word that is right on time for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that that's not our calling. He calls us to something more. And he says it right here in Philippians. He says it all over the New Testament. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He would use this same language in Ephesians as well. And he would remind the church again and again and again. And it's my job, it's our job as shepherds and pastors to remind you again and again and again, this is not your home. Don't act like it. Build for tomorrow. Build for eternity. Build for things that are to come. And the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear this, God is not interested in you feeling comfortable with America. He wants you to be disturbed appropriately. Now, at the same time, let me move over here and say, we have to always honor the space we are. We honor our country. We are blessed to be able to gather freely today, to not have to worry about what we say in this space because we've got freedom of religion and freedom to speak and freedom to gather. We honor our country, but I wanna make sure you understand something. Your citizenry as a Christ follower is higher and beyond what's going on in our world. 
And so we've got to understand this and we've got to translate this to our kids and our grandkids. And this is something that is so important, especially right now while all of our hearts are open and we're feeling a little bit vulnerable because of the election and the craziness of our day. This isn't just the language of Paul, I might add. But Peter, one of the other disciples, uses this exact same language in his letter to the church. Look here. He says this. He has just gotten through encouraging the church, uh, calling them a holy priesthood, calling them a chosen people. But then he goes on to say, so beloved, I want to urge you. He doesn't want to suggest. He wants to speak with urgency. You're going to feel urgency from me today because the Bible demands it of a pastor. Is that okay? Can I be urgent with you today? Can I speak with a little bit of urgency? We've got to be urgent in moments like the one we're in to remind ourselves and remind our world and remind our, our families that we are not from here. We are from somewhere else. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, Peter would tell us that we've got to act like we're refugees here. We've got to act like we're aliens, exiles, sojourners. We're just traveling through. And one of the things I think, uh, I know that we all need to be reminded, whether you voted for the candidate that wins or that you voted for the candidate that loses, is we're not from here. Fulfill your civil duty and be grateful for the democracy we live in. But you need to know we're not from here. We're not meant to live here. We're not meant to store up treasure here. The Bible is replete again and again and again with there is a Babylon that we live in, but we are called to live in the city of God, the city of Zion, the city of heaven. We're called to be a city on a hill that shines a bright light. And we, right now in America, I think we need to recognize we live in Babylon light. We do. And there is nobody in this country holistically from a governance standpoint that is trying to create a theocracy where Jesus Christ is lifted up as king. And so Christian, now is a moment for us that we need to steal ourselves and figure out how do we navigate these days? How do we thrive, not just survive, in this moment and in the days ahead? And I wanna say this because I think it's important. Um, we see people that have done it in the scriptures, in this book. Um, we see literally, and what I'm gonna to talk today, I'm not gonna read any of the text because there's so much to read. You'll have to go read it on your own, but I'm gonna give a quick overview of the book of Daniel. Because what is going on in the Old Testament book of Daniel is God's people have been overrun by the literal nation of Babylon and they are taken captive. And the story of Daniel is how to thrive in Babylon. And so if you want to take down notes, there's three things that I believe you have to have. And there's three things that Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego possessed that at the end of the book of Daniel, they are still standing and empires have come and gone, but the people of God remain steadfast. And I want you to know that's on offer for you. The church, the one that Jesus Christ gave his life for and resurrected for and will come back for is the hope of the world. And it is our calling and our duty, and this is an old school phrase, but it's our time to absolutely exhibit a Christian witness.
And so three things that I want to share with you from the story of Daniel and, um, and the story of people being taken captive in Babylon. The first one is this. I want you to say it out loud with me. Number one is formation. Everybody say formation on three. One, two, three. Now, all the way down in Myrtle Beach. One, two, three. Formation. All right. Now, let me get a little bit of a, a Bible nerd moment here. I am a Bible nerd. I love the Word of God, and this is nerdy. But I need you to understand this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were kids when the, the story of Daniel begins. It says they were the youths of Judea. They were raised in modern-day Israel, and Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, comes down and crushes Israel. All of this had been prophesied and talked about, but Israel did not have good leadership, and so Babylon comes down and dis dismantles them, and they end up killing, more than likely, Daniel's family. He probably witnessed them all die. Mom and dad, dead. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's family, they're gone too. Um, they end up getting taken and led from Israel, modern-day Judea, uh, all the way to uh, Persia, to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And when they get there, maybe you don't pick this up unless you have somebody like uh, uh, me to tell you this, they get neutered. If you don't know what neutered means, ask your mom and dad after service, okay? So they get neutered, all right? They're called eunuchs. And then they are basically taken to Babylon University for years to eat and drink and study and learn the Babylonian ways. And so this is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's reality in the place of Babylon. But I want to point out that what they had from their homeland was formation. You see, because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego grew up underneath the leadership rule of a king back in Judea called Josiah. Now, maybe you know someone named Josiah, Dan Leanne, his oldest uh, son, his only son's name is Josiah, Tyler Tatum, one of our other pastors on staff, his oldest son is named Josiah. Josiah is a popular name because Josiah was one of the good kings of Israel in the Old Testament. His, his moniker was Josiah the Reformer. Why was he the Reformer? Because God's people had not been worshiping God. They had been worshiping the Baals and the Asherah. They had, been, they had been going the way of the world. They had been lifting up worship to all these other false gods. And then Josiah, at eight years old, became king. Think about that. That's crazy, right? At eight years old, he becomes king. And he goes back into the, the Bible records, and all this is in the book of Kings. You can go and read it. The Bible records that he's wandering in the temple of God, of Yahweh. And he finds in the temple of God, buried underneath all kinds of rubble, he finds the scriptures that have been buried and forgotten. He begins to read the scriptures that have been buried and forgotten, and the Bible talks about his conviction and how moved he is, and then all of a sudden they begin to read them out loud, and everybody is convicted and moved because they had forgotten the word of God. They had forgotten it. They were the people of God, but had forgotten the word of God. And so Josiah begins to read the scriptures. Ezra is one of his peers, and the story of Ezra is about this as well. They, they, they read uh, the, the scriptures, and they remember what's going on, and people get convicted, and they change their life. They change their routine. They begin to pray again. They begin to keep Sabbath again. They begin to worship again. They begin to give God their first fruits again. They begin to be formed again. Now, the translation for you and for me is this reality is right now, you and I are being formed in our world. The question that you and I have to answer is, what's forming us? 
What's doing the forming? We're being formed, many of you probably over the COVID time have um, binged a little more social, uh, uh, or, excuse me, uh, streaming television or other things like myself, and maybe you've watched The Social Dilemma. It's all about how uh, our social media and our cell phones are shaping and forming us and how that's the first time this has ever happened and, and all of society and scientists and psychologists and sociologists are trying to figure out what it's doing to us. You and I are being formed right now, the question is what's forming us? And the Bible says that if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we need to be formed by the word of God and not by the world we live in. And I wanna just love you enough to tell you this. We have a lot of people that qualify themselves as Christians that have not looked at the word of God in a really long time. One of the reasons that we feel so convicted and so inspired and are leading our church for the year of 2021 being the year of the Bible at New Spring Church is because we've got to be formed again by the word of God and not the words of this world, amen? There's so much going on right now in marketing and in, and in all the social spaces and all the political spaces and all the 24-7 news outlets and there's so much vitriol and loudness and, and I want you to know that if you would lean into the word of God, you will make it, but you've got to understand there is a formation that you and I must adhere to. And every single, I wanna encourage you, Every one of you that's at a campus right now or leaning in online, you right now have made the decision to be here, to lean in and be formed by the things of God, the people of God, the worship of God, to remind your soul who is in charge. Amen. Well done, mom and dad. Well done, young person who's single and hasn't established your family. Well done. Keep going. Every single time we celebrate the Sabbath, we are declaring with our lives and to our family and to our friends, God is my strength. And every time we celebrate with the first fruits, here's another practical one. Every time that God provides something for you because of your job and you say, no, I'm gonna tithe off of that. Every single time you step into that kind of formation, you are saying, God is my source. Not your boss, not your brains, not the letters by your name because you went to school. And those things are not your source. God is your source. And so every single time we lean into the formation and the principles of the scriptures, I know some of this is old school, but I want you to know it is life-giving and it'll be the thing that'll get you through thriving in Babylon. Come on, 1115 Anderson campus, you're being a little quiet. I'm all up in your grits right here. All right, okay. Here's what you need to recognize and realize. The Bible says again and again and again that this can be trusted. The Bible says again and again and again in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says it explicitly, you are going to face rain and wind in life, but if you build on the rock, you will not be blown away, swept away, flooded away. You will be found standing at the end of the day, but you've got to make the decision that this is not just a paperweight on your desk or something you throw in the floorboard to and from church. It's the thing you put your nose in and you read it and you read it and you read it and you apply it and you apply it and you apply it, amen? You and I have the chance to be formed. So my question to you is, what's doing the forming in your life? We as pastors and shepherds and leaders, we take this very seriously. I believe I'm gonna stand before God on your spiritual formation. I stay up at night over that. We stay up at night over that. We pray about that. So our prayer lives and your prayer lives and the reality of heaven and hell, the reality that 100 years from right now, 
we'll all be in eternity. And you will be somewhere eternally. We take that really seriously. And so I don't, I don't want to miss the moment to say you right now need to lean into formation more than you've ever leaned into it. You need to lean into forming your kids and your grandkids. You need to encourage it because it matters. It mattered to Daniel. That's why Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter one, they show up to the king's spread, wine, meat, all the food that had been dedicated to the gods of the Babylonians, and they say, I'm sorry. I know the word of God, I cannot lean into this. And they go and they humbly ask, can we eat vegetables? Can we keep the word of God? And they get permission and then the Lord, Daniel chapter one, miraculously, supernaturally blesses them, gives them wisdom and insight and they are shown to have held their spiritual formation. Again, throughout the book of Daniel, you'll find Daniel makes his way to his prayer closet three times a day. Didn't matter where he was, didn't matter that he was in another city, he was going to pray because people that follow the Lord know this, prayer is our first response, it's not a last resort. Too many of us, prayer is the last resort, amen? It's the 911 call when we find out the cancer diagnosis or we find out the car wreck or we find out that the person we voted for is not gonna actually be in the office, it's the 911 call. But I want you to know, friend, prayer is your language with heaven right now. It's our first response, not our last resort. The Sabbath is a real thing. Getting to church with the people of God is a real thing. Worship is a real thing. Where you spend your first fruits is a real thing. Lean into your spiritual formation because this is not a sermon that I'm preaching. This is a life I've witnessed. And if you will lean into the spiritual formation that is biblical, you will persevere. You will make it. That's number one. Number two, you don't just need formation. Number two, you're gonna need, if I can get the button to work, you're gonna need friends, friends. Now, I love my friends, and I think we need to recapture a little bit of what friends are biblically. What I am not talking about is buddies. I'm not talking about drinking buddies, golfing buddies, hunting buddies. Ladies, you'll have to contextualize into your world, okay? I'm not talking about buddies, I'm talking about brothers. I'm talking about friends that are friends of God. You need friends that are friends of God. Daniel had those kind of friends. Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, has a dream, and this dream is so crazy that it wakes him up at night with a cold sweat. It's intense, he doesn't know what it is. He knows it's important. Nebuchadnezzar knows this is a vision that he needs to have interpreted, but he doesn't know where to go. So he puts the word out to all of the sorcerers and the seers and the prophets in the known world and says, I need my dream interpreted. And they say to him, okay, cool, tell us what you dreamed. He said, no, 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 no. If you really are an interpreter of dreams, I don't have to tell you what my dream was about. You're gonna be able to tell me. As a matter of fact, you're gonna be able to tell me what it was about. You're gonna be able to interpret it for me. And if you don't do it, I'm killing all of y'all. That's not hyperbole. That's literally what Daniel chapter two talks about. Nebuchadnezzar told them all, I'm killing everybody if you don't tell me what my dream was about and what its interpretation was. Well, Daniel was in that group of wise counselors. And so facing certain death, he asks for permission to go and talk to his friends. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I need you to fast. That's another formation word, by the way. Fast and pray. 
Fast and pray that God would give me by the power of his Holy Spirit the dream Nebuchadnezzar had and the interpretation of it. And so they do, they fast and pray. And guess what God does? He comes through. And they're fasting and praying together. God gives Daniel in the, in the nighttime a vision of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He walks in humbly to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, world and he says, I know your dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me what it is. He nails it, nails the dream and then he tells him exactly what it's about. Nebuchadnezzar is moved, he's floored, he cannot believe it. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar decides that whoever the God that Daniel worships is the God of gods. It becomes a moment of evangelism as Nebuchadnezzar goes, wow, whoever you're worshiping, that's the king of kings, that's the Lord of lords, that's the God of gods. But it was ultimately, again and again and again, all through the book of Daniel, it was the relationship that Daniel had with his friends that carried the day. So let me ask you, do you have friends that are friends of God? Again, I'm not talking about your loud friends on social media. I'm not talking about your water cooler friends. I'm not talking about your sports friends. I'm talking about friends that are friends of God. You need them. One of the ways you can tell if you've got them is they will look you in the face and go, you are talking like Babylon right now. That's not who you are. You are talking, sounding, acting, dating, marrying like Babylon right now. That's not who you are. And they're gonna call you to your true identity, to your citizenship in heaven. Do you have friends that are close enough in your life that they'll tell you you're wrong? I do. I wanna tell you it's one of the most important things you could have. One of the things I am so committed to is that you would have relationships at New Spring Church in your men's group, your women's group, your fuse group, your rally group, that you'd have relationships with mentors or, or pastors that would love you enough to tell you the truth when you are not living according to the citizenry of heaven, but you are living according to the citizenry of Babylon. You're dating like Babylon. You're talking like Babylon. You're laughing at the jokes at the office like people from Babylon. That's not who you are. And you need those kind of people in your life. Do you have them? If you don't, today you can get them. You just have to say, yes, I want that kind of thing in my life. Because you will, this is so important. Because I really think there's a lot of folks, y'all, that they think this is just a game. They think that this Christian thing is just a game. That this is, and I, I just, I wanna plead with you. Your soul is at stake. Your eternity is on the line. And Jesus has died to grant you freedom and salvation forever. But what he does not do is ever in the scriptures say, pray a prayer when you're 11 and then do whatever you wanna do for the rest of your life and I'll see you in heaven. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter seven has one of the scariest passages in it where he looks people in the eye and he literally says on that day, the day of judgment, they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not know you back there? And he'll say, no, I never knew you. Because that's, that, if you've bought into that kind of following Jesus, that is watered down Southeast United States Bible Belt religion. That is not what following Jesus looks like. You gotta hear me because your soul is at stake. You need friends that are gonna get in your face and say, listen, sir, you should not be having an affair on your wife and think you're gonna just, oh, God will forgive it. He can forgive it all.
and he will forgive it all. But if there's nothing in you that longs to do the right thing, longs to run away from sin, longs to make war on the sinful things in your life, you very well may not have a real salvation, rebirth moment in your life. You've been playing religious games. And I love you enough to say it that clearly. One of the things that you need, not just as friends, but I wanna say to you, and I wrote it down just like this, I wanna get back to my notes to say, you need pastors in your life. You need pastors in your life who care about your soul and the soul of your family and your friends. You need pastors in your life that you trust to follow their lead all the way to eternity. And I want you to know that that is the commitment that this pastoral team makes to this church. We care about your eternity and I don't care if that at some point is not politically correct to you or if that gets all up in your grits or if it frustrates you. I care about you seeing Jesus for eternity and understanding that that's forever and it matters. And we will not water down what the scripture says so that we feel good. We will preach it and we will pray for it and we will declare it and we will build a church that's about it. That's what we're committed to you. Do you have pastors in your life that you can trust with the life of your kids, the eternity of your grandkids. We are doing, so New Spring Church, if you call yourself a member of this house, I want you to know that's what we are committed to. And if you are leaning in from somewhere else and you want to know what kind of church that is that you're sitting in, you're in a church that cares about your eternal soul. And if you want someone to sweat over that and stay up late over that and fast and pray towards that and call others to take it seriously, you're in that place. And so if you want to be a part of this thing, then I want to go ahead and invite you to figure it out and come and jump on board because this place will not play games. This is not some kind of mega church business. That's not what this is. This is the church of the living God. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to worship him and we're going to call you to repent and give your life to Christ. That's where you are today, church. I'm sorry, I'm sweating. You don't just need... Formation and friends, somebody just yelled it. You actually also need this. You need fire. The fire of the Holy Ghost. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had it. They had a relationship with God. Do you? They had all through the book of Daniel, you see them again and again and again facing the pressure and the heat much more pressure and heat that we have here in America in our first world problem kind of moment. They literally face life and death. Did I mention that they were neutered to begin this thing? Okay, I mean, this is serious. Multiple times they were threatened with their lives if they did not do what the, the, the populace wanted, the king wanted, what the, the world wanted. But they were not going to walk the path of Babylon. They were gonna walk the path of their king, Jesus and so I wanna say it like this, over and over again, they were proven to have a, a fire in them that was hotter and burned brighter than the fire on them. Probably isn't seen in any more clear a picture than in Daniel chapter three when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are found in a group of royal leaders and they're asked to lead the people by bowing their knee to a huge golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. You can go read the whole thing, but basically Nebuchadnezzar had a, a huge golden statue built of himself. Most scholars think it was based on the vision that he had had in Daniel chapter two. 
And um, he was so proud of himself because he had just had a vision about how his kingdom was gonna be a powerful kingdom. Matter of fact, he even had a man interpret that exact vision and say, yeah, you're gonna be a powerful king. So he got so proud of himself, he built a huge statue and he said, the music and the band's gonna play and when the music and band plays, I want all you leaders to bow to me. And when all the people see the leaders bow, then they're gonna follow suit. Well, over here in the corner were these three little Jewish boys who had formation and had friends that knew that they never bowed their knee to anyone but Yahweh. And I wanna say this, there was other Jews in the group, by the way, and I'm sure they had reasons and justifications and they, hey, it's not really a big deal, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, in my mind, in, in my private world, I know where my relationship is with Yahweh, but right here in public, I don't wanna lose my neck over this or my kids, I'll go ahead and just bow my knee to Nebuchadnezzar. And they justified and I want you to know that the conviction of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, it doesn't matter if the whole world bows, we're gonna stand. They had a stand-up faith in a bow-down world. And so ultimately, they get called up to Nebuchadnezzar right front and center and said, maybe you misunderstood me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but this is life or death. I want you to go and look at their humility. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we know this is life and death. We understand full well. We don't mean any disrespect. We understand you're the king, but we only worship Yahweh. And I know we're in Babylon here, but that's not the world we come from and that's not the world we're going. So we're gonna, with all due respect, king, we're gonna stand until we bow our knee to Yahweh and only him. Nebuchadnezzar is livid. He says, Turn the furnace up seven times hotter. They get it stoked so hot that the soldiers die from the heat that they create. He says, grab these, these, these infidels and throw them in the furnace. They go to grab them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They hit the ground in the furnace and they're not consumed. The Bible says Nebuchadnezzar's peering in and he sees them stand up. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, didn't we throw three of them in the fire? Well, why is there four? Why is there one in the fire that looks like the son of God? And the truth of the matter is there was a fire in those men that was hotter and brighter than the fire on those men. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and everything changes. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that's found on his knee. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of that furnace and he tells the whole world, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the God of gods, not me. It's, it's their God. And evangelism and revival breaks out in that moment because the heart of the king was moved because of the conviction of neutered, eunuch, slave boys. No real power, but they had formation and they had friends and they had a fire. Do you? Because you're gonna need it. It's how we thrive in Babylon. It's the plan of God. He wants to make you a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He wants to put you as a light on the stand. He calls you the light of the world. So I want you to know your job is to glow. And there's probably not a greater example of this than after it's all said and done, when you get to the end of the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that three major kings and rulers have gone the way of history. 
Two major empires have gone the way of history and Daniel and his friends are still standing. Think about this. Daniel was taken as a 10, 11 year old boy into captivity under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. He outlasts Nebuchadnezzar and his entire kingdom. He outlasts the empire change of Belteshazzar and the writing on the walls. He outlasts the lion's den of Darius or Darius. Those people all went the way of history, the way of Babylon. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faithful to the end and they were not shaken. And that's the kind of confidence God wants to give you, the kind of humility that God wants to put inside of you, but the kind of boldness that is gonna make a difference in the day we're in. So I wanna invite you to stand on your feet on every campus. We're gonna enter into a time of prayer. I'm gonna invite the ministry teams, pastors, perhaps worship leaders on the campuses to come and they're gonna navigate this moment however best they need to. But I wanna remind you of the words of King Jesus on the night before he went to the cross. Here's what the words of King Jesus say. He says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Another translation says trouble. But you can take heart because I have overcome the world. New Spring Church, you have an overcoming Savior who has made you an overcoming church. Your job is to persevere. Your job is to endure. Your job is to make it and God will take even what the enemy intends for evil and use it for good. And I want you to know it has nothing to do with who's elected in the White House or what the stock market does or who wins and loses football games. It has everything to do with who's on the throne today. It is our King, our Lord, our God, no other than King Jesus Christ, our Lord. So would you close your eyes and open your hands and let's respond. Which of those three do you really need to focus in on this week? Formation, friends, or maybe you need to be born again. You need the fire of God so you can navigate the days that we're in. Which one of those is the most important for you? I wanna ask you two questions. What's the Holy Spirit saying right now to you? And number two, what are you gonna do about it? He's given you this moment. We've created the space. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for the way you've been talking on social media. And just side note, that's not a joke, I've seen it. Some of you need to ask God to forgive you and you need to ask forgiveness of others because of the way you've been talking on Facebook. Some of you maybe perhaps need to ask uh, your spouse or your kids to forgive you that you've been acting like a Babylonian citizen when you're a citizen of heaven and regardless of if you're happy about the election or sad about the election, that's not where your hope lies and you need to remind your family today as a father, as a mother, as a big brother that your hope lies in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and nothing else, not your economic power, your education, the, the who's in the White House. No, 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 none of those things are what we focus on. We focus on the kingdom of heaven, not our citizenry in Babylon. And so Father God, I wanna pray a prayer right now for anybody that's been going to church but they've never actually given their life to Jesus Christ. You've already prompted them, I know it. We saw it this morning and we, we feel it even right now that there are people that have been casual with their Christianity. And so right now I just believe that there are some people that need to give their life to Jesus. 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, hands are open. But I want to ask, wherever you are, if you know that that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to put your faith in his victory. You want to put your confidence in eternity with him. He has made a way by his cross for you to be saved. And I want to give an opportunity for you to say yes to him, young and old. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now, I just want to ask you to just to, Raise your hand and give me a wave up here, just right now. Raise your hand and give me a wave. Amen, 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 amen. In the balcony, awesome. All right, you can put your hands down. Father God, you know the hearts of every single one of these men and women that wave their hand on whatever campus they're on. Father God, I pray that you would lead them for the rest of their days as they have today said yes to you. I'm gonna invite our whole church to pray this prayer, but we're praying this prayer to uh, invite our new brothers and sisters in Christ into a relationship with King Jesus. So on every single campus, would you pray this prayer with me? Every single campus, everyone allowed, 100% participation. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for resurrecting for my life. Today, again, I trust you. Lead me for the rest of my life for your glory, my joy, and the world's good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, could you give the Lord a hand as we welcome on your campus the ministry teams and pastors. All praise to God.